This podcast includes information provided by the issuer and does not express the views of the interviewer. This podcast may also include forward-looking statements by the issuer that involve certain risks and uncertainties to its business. Because forward-looking statements are subject to risks and uncertainties, the issuer's actual results could differ from those indicated in this podcast. Welcome to the Planet Microcap Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Kraft. And thank you all so much for the support and for tuning in. You can follow Planet Microcap on Twitter at Bobby K. Kraft. That's B-O-B-B-Y-K-K-R-A-F-T. And you're listening to episode 39. You know, I just wanted to take a moment to let you know that I take great pride in bringing you the best content possible covering the Microcap universe. No pun intended. So if you have any questions or comments, please feel free to tweet at me or shoot me an email at rcraft at snnwire.com. And when you do get a chance, if you like what you hear, please rate and review Planet Microcap on iTunes. It really helps provide feedback for me and spread the Microcap message. For this episode of the Planet Microcap podcast, I spoke with Paul Andriola, editor, and Brandon Mackey, writer-researcher at Small Cap Discoveries. I'm very excited that Paul and Brandon will be speaking at our annual event, the Planet Microcap Showcase, April 26th through 28th. 2017 at the Planet Hollywood Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, Nevada. They have a very unique microcap investing perspective, which we discuss at length in this interview, especially with regard to their core investing strategy and process when looking at Canadian microcap stocks. I also spoke with them about the panels they will be speaking on at the Planet Microcap Showcase, discuss at length the history, investing landscape, and infrastructure in Canada, as well as accessibility for U.S. investors to invest in Canadian listings and their assessment of the Canadian investing climate currently. The goal for this episode is to learn more about Brandon and Paul's strategies when looking at Canadian microcap stocks, how they find new ideas, and their thoughts on the current Canadian investing market. Thank you again for tuning in to episode 39 of the Planet Microcap podcast. Please enjoy my interview with Paul Andriola and Brandon Mackey. But first, a word from our sponsor. Hey, everybody. Robert Kraft here, your host on the Planet Microcap podcast. I'd like to take this moment to invite you to join me and some of the guests you may have heard on this podcast to our annual Microcap Investor Conference, the Planet Microcap Showcase, April 26th through April 28th, 2017 at none other than the Planet Hollywood Resort and Casino in Las Vegas. The Planet Microcap Showcase will be two and a half days of company presentations, networking opportunities, an educational workshop, and you'll get to meet privately in one-on-one meetings with company management of undiscovered and well-known microcap companies. There are a lot of surprises in store and you're not going to want to miss it. So join us at the Planet Microcap Showcase April 26th through April 28th at the Planet Hollywood Resort and Casino in Las Vegas. For more information, go to www.planetmicrocapshowcase.com and register now to reserve your spot. See you in Vegas. For this episode of the Planet Microcap Podcast, I have Paul Andriola and Brandon Mackey on the program. Paul is the editor, and Brandon is the writer-researcher at Small Cap Discoveries. Paul and Brandon, welcome to the Planet Microcap Podcast. Hi, Robert. Thanks for having us on. Good to be here. 
It's great to have you on the program. So, you know, Brandon, this is uh, this is now your second time on the podcast. And, and Paul, this is your first. So uh, I would say welcome. And Brandon, welcome back. You know, thank you again for joining me. And, and to start, for those who missed our first interview, Brandon, and for those who may have missed our video interview, Paul, which we did not too long ago, you know, what are your backgrounds and how did you get started investing in microcap stocks? Uh, Paul, let's start with you. Sure. Um, so I've, I've been at this uh, microcap business for about 25 years. Uh, I started um, uh, with 10 of those years uh, as a stockbroker, uh, focusing specifically on on uh, microcaps and, and Canadian microcaps. Um, once I left the uh, brokerage business, I actually uh, was involved in three different technology startups, two of which did quite well and one which failed, which I think I've learned probably more from the one that failed than, than the other two that did well. And then, you know, also along that uh, that way, I've been a director of public companies. Uh, I'm a CEO of a small public company as well. Um, and, uh, yeah, and, uh, you know, in amongst those 25 years, I spent, uh, you know, investing in microcaps, um, putting most of my money at work there and learning as I go. And, Brandon, how did you, you know, what is your background and how did you get started? Yeah, sure. So I have a, a bit of an unusual background. I'm a chemical engineer by training. Um, got started in the oil and gas business as a facilities engineer um, about 2011. So I've been at it about six years. And starting out as an engineer, I just happened to be reading, um, came across Warren Buffett's early writings, some of Ben Graham, the foundational of value investing. And, you know, as a lot of people's stories go, I got, I got hooked kept reading, um, which led me to various blogs and uh, started to try and put some of my savings to work investing. And, you know, after having some mixed success with that, I decided to start my own blog um, really as a way to just get my ideas out there, get some feedback, hopefully meet some people in the industry. So I started a blog um, about a year later, 2012. Um, that blog was called Motology. And the philosophy there was to take Warren Buffett's idea of Boats and companies with competitive advantages, but instead of talking about, you know, Apple or Google or some of these giant companies, take it to the small cap world. And uh, so that's what I tried to do. And through that, built up uh, a following, a network. That's how I met Paul through the blog. And uh, somewhere along the way, I wrote about a company that a local hedge fund in Houston um, was currently uh, undertaking an activist campaign. They found my blog post, got in touch with them, and that ultimately wrote ultimately led to a job offer, which kind of got me into the finance industry. Then for a bit, um, started the newsletter with Paul, and then had an opportunity to go work at a startup out in California, so that's what I do now. Um, but, you know, continue to invest my own money and, and stay up with the microcap world. Well, it, it has been nice having you as a neighbor, I must say. Um, and yeah. <laughs> that is, yes, most definitely. If only it stopped raining. Uh, thankfully, it did today. <laughs> But, um, you know, I wanted to follow up with you, Brandon, real quick, because my, my next question had to do with, you know, when and, and why you both started looking at, at Canadian microcap stocks in, in, in particular, you know, because you said you started this, this blog, uh, Motology, or Motology and, then, and you decided then you wanted to apply that theory to small caps. You know, what made you decide to do that? Yeah, so... It was kind of a natural progression where, you know, I started with, with the really big companies and I was looking for kind of distressed situations where bad news would come out and, you know, things like Herbalife, you know, which I owned at one point, don't own, own currently. Um, 
but I kind of came across some blogs that were just talking about how the the return potential is so much greater in small and micro caps because the, the large market, you know, large hedge funds institutions, um, they can't really invest in micro caps. It's not enough to move the needle, and in some cases, they're not even allowed um, by their bylaws to invest in them. So that got me really interested to think that you know, as a young investor, not having a lot of experience, the deck was kind of stacked in my favor. And I could have more opportunity for success. And so I came across a newsletter um, through a site called Guru Focus that was highlighting a lot of these companies. A lot of them were U.S. and had some really great success in a few of those companies. And that got me kind of hooked and ultimately um, got me kind of sold on the micro and small cap arena. Mm-hmm. Now, in particular, how did I land in Canada? That was kind of by accident. I started out looking... All throughout the world, I was investing in companies in Sweden, in the UK, Australia, anywhere that I could find, um, you know, a company with competitive advantages that was small, growing, and at a cheap price. And that fourth point is really the key, because there's plenty of those in the U.S., or at least in 2013, but you know, many of them had sky-high valuations. And so through that criteria, I just kept finding one after another in Canada, and so the next thing I know, I look at my portfolio and it's almost all Canadian companies. And I think that's, there's an interesting reason for why that is that I'm sure we'll get into later in the podcast, but mm-hmm. it's really by accident that I landed um, Canada and decided to devote myself completely to the space, you know, about a year later. Mm-hmm. And, and Paul, you know, what, when and why did you start also looking at Canadian microcaps and then you know, I don't, I don't know if you can speak for for you and Brandon, but is there a specific sector or sectors that you particularly focus on? And and by the way, I'm I'm assuming that you didn't just get into Canadian microcaps because you're Canadian. Well, no, but it helped. Um, <laughs> I think um, yeah, what, what I was finding is because because most of you know as a broker, most of my clients are Canadian. They were looking for Canadian ideas, um, but that that didn't. Uh, that didn't preclude me from bringing U.S. ideas to the clients as well. But what, what similar to what Brandon was finding was we were finding that the valuations were better in Canada. And I think to date we still do find that to be the case. Um, it's, um, it, it's, it's easier for us to do due diligence in Canada because I know the systems up here. And um, it just, um, it, you know, I think just the, the mere fact that we're finding the right kind of companies that were fitting our criteria with the right valuations Is there a particular sector? Or se- well, you know what? I'll ask it. I'll, I'll re-ask that question as it pertains to my next question. Because you know, for for those who may not know, you know what what exactly is the Small Cap Discoveries newsletter, and does it focus on you know a particular sector or not? And Paul, Paul, if you could answer uh, that one. Sure, sure. Um, so it's easier to actually say what we don't uh, focus on. So we don't do anything in the resource sector or resource extraction sectors. And, um, and we also don't do anything um, sort of in the financial uh, arena. Um, we tend to look for businesses that have some form of repeatability. So if you're selling a, you know, a piece of software, if you're selling a widget, if you're selling something, it's easy to repeat that. Whereas in the resource sector, you know, you, you find a deposit, well, at the end of that deposit, it's more or less gone. Um, so, you know, where, where we're finding our most success, we're in, you know, we're in the biotech space, we're in the software space. Industrials um, and, and most of the companies we actually look at tend to be 
market, which, um, you know, we can certainly get into why that, uh, why we think that, that makes for better investments. But, um, yeah, it, it, we're a little agnostic, so we'll look at almost any sector that, that meets our criteria from, from the bottom up. Mm-hmm. Brandon, did you, do you have anything to add to that? Uh, yeah, sure. So, I mean, I think at a high level, what we're trying to do is find Canada's best emerging growth companies. And so people, you know, try and put that into a certain style of investing. I think one that comes up a lot is uh, growth at a reasonable price, which is, you know, GARP investing. Mm-hmm. I would take that a step further and say we're really looking for growth at an unreasonable price, unreasonable being unreasonably low. Um, we really want to find something that's very early on in the discovery process. So really no one knows about it. Um, things are just starting to move in the right direction, and we're starting to see the signs of what could make for the next growth darling of the future, and it's right at that moment that we're trying to invest. So it's a very um, kind of fine line between companies that are too early and haven't proven out their business, and then before catching them before the mainstream media and a lot of the other institutions, and that's what we're really trying to do is get them early on in the discovery process. Mm-hmm because we believe that the discovery process will drive prices and valuations higher than even business performance. Mm-hmm. So uh, you, I guess you're going to patent the Gau, the Gau earn process, you know, as, or sorry, the, <laughs> right. Am I right? The... <laughs> Not a bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> so um, it, the, my next question then, it, it has to do specifically with, you know, the, the strategy that you do implore. And, and you've mentioned this, uh, you've kind of alluded to it a little bit already, but, you know, what, what is the, the core investing strategy when assessing a potential new investment? And then also, how do you find these new, these new potential or these new ideas that you're going to look at? Um, I, I'd say, uh, Brandon, you want to start this one off and then Paul, uh, follow up? Uh, sure. Yeah. So, so building on what I alluded to in the in the last question, this idea of the discovery process, and this is something that we've we've done some presentations out at different conferences over the past year, and we've really been building on it since we started um, the the newsletter. And the discovery process is this idea that you know every stock starts out very early on, um, you know whether it's a, a large company that falls from graces or a completely new emerging company starts out at a point where really nobody knows what it is, and there's very little trading volume, um, very little things happening, and maybe there's legacy shareholders that are stuck in it that kind of forget about it. And then something starts to work, whether a new management team gets in, a new product starts to really resonate in the marketplace, and it starts to show up in the financials, and growth starts to happen. It's really in that moment that we're trying to identify um, companies that are hitting an inflection point, which we characterize as... um, two quarters of 25% or more revenue growth year over year mm-hmm. and two quarters of profitability. And, you know, it doesn't have to be huge profitability, but positive net income. And a lot of times what happens is the share price will start to respond. And a lot of those early shareholders or people in it will see it as an opportunity to head to the exits because they've been holding this thing for years. And we find that that's a really attractive point to get into and get positioned assuming that the momentum of the company continues to, to go. So that's kind of the, the basic framework now, how we find those companies. I'll let Paul talk some more about that. It's a, a combination of man, a manual process and also, you know, people in the industry um, sharing ideas, newsletters, blogs, mm-hmm. all sorts of sources. Paul, well, you want to build on that? 
Well, one, real, real quick, Paul. I wanted to. I just wanted to follow up real quick, Brandon. Is I want to know the difference then between what what you deem as the discovery process, but then also timing. You know, what what's the difference between this idea of discovery and it, I'll I'll coin the phrase discovery investing versus let's say a time sensitive investing, so to speak. Well, yeah, I mean, really, um, what you're looking for is just these these certain catalysts, you know, which sometimes are time-based, sometimes aren't. Um, you know, a, a company can go many, many years being completely undiscovered, and they can have one positive event, and they can go from undiscovered to discovered, you know, in a matter of days. Mm-hmm. You know, we had, we, we had one company on our watch list that we never owned, um, Acceloware, that went up, um, I think it was 1,300% in a single day. Um, because they announced a large contract with GE. So sometimes these things can, can happen very fast. Sometimes they can happen very slow. Um, we're trying to find opportunities that evolve, you know, over a period of, you know, say I call it a couple weeks to a year. It's kind of the, the ideal time horizon to see these things play out um, versus, you know, holding something for 10 years or trying to do short-term trading. It's kind of that balance right in between. And we tend to think less time-based and more catalyst and what are the data points and what is the, what are the financials telling us. And as long as things are continuing to move in the right direction, we're likely going to be shareholders first deciding we'll sell after it goes up 50% or we'll sell after three months. That's not really something that feeds into our framework. So then, so Paul, then that, that's a, thank you for that because that, that does actually then lead into um, you know, what, what I think Paul is about to elaborate on is, you know, how, how do you guys find new ideas then? So, um, <clears throat> we, we rarely, um, we rarely look at ideas that, that come to us. We, we want to be out there looking for them before everybody else finds them. And the way we do it is, um, similar to what you guys have down in the U S and anchor filings. We have what's called CEDAR filings up here in Canada. So on, on a daily basis, we will go through all the financial reports that come out, uh, you know, on the Canadian public companies. And then they're, you know, in, in earnings season, you're going to get a lot of companies uh, filing all at the same time. And sometimes, some days, they, they won't be as many filings. But we'll go through every single filing um, of all the companies in Canada to look for those ones that sort of meet our, our basic criteria of that 25% uh, or more growth that, that Brandon was mentioning. And then um, once we find something that meets, you know, the, the revenue growth and profit uh, criteria we look for, um, we'll take it aside, and then the real work starts. Um, mm-hmm. And we'll look at everything from, uh, you know, their their you know their margins are the margins going up or down? Um, what kind of insider ownership is there? Um, you know, we 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 go through all our our contacts within the industry up here, and we'll look at for you know try to get a reputational assessment of management or directors. Um, and there, there literally is a, a pretty extensive list of things that we go through, but it, it fine-tunes what we're looking for. And, you know, ideally, if we can fi- find five or six good ideas a year, um, you know, we're happy. And we're not looking for deals that, that are just good. We're looking for great deals. So, um, And we're trying to find the, the best five to ten deals um, out there rather than just try to find good deals. So Paul, it's a fair bit of work, but uh, it, it works out quite well. So, Paul, like in this process, I mean, this sounds like, I mean, it sounds like quite the undertaking. I mean, um, I mean, do you, do you guys have a program in place or do you do it all 
by hand human, you know, looking at the filings and say, okay, yeah, yeah you do, yeah. you do. Yeah. It's, it's all human. It's all manual. The reason we, we stick with that is because, the, you know, there's a lot of screening softwares you can use to, to do what kind of what we're, what we're talking about doing here. But the problem is every now and then one or two will fall through the cracks and not make it onto that screening software. And those are those are typically the ones that are the most valuable because there's even less people that are able to access that information. So we're we're prepared to you know roll up the sleeves and and take pen to, to paper and, and try to literally manually go through every single filing there is so that we don't you know we don't miss the odd one that uh, that we don't want to miss. Mm-hmm. And then as another follow up to that, I mean, what what's your thought then on watch lists because. It, you know, it, if I could single out one bit of your criteria where you say, you know, you're looking for two consecutive uh, quarters of, of uh, uh, growth, of prof- profitability and profitability growth, you know, if you notice that a company has, you know, one, there it was their first quarter of being profitable, or let's say it was their first quarter of finally breaking even, you know, do you put that on a watch list some there and, and then follow it up and, and set an alert or something? You know, how, how do you do that? Uh, yeah, literally, you, you sort of um, you, you nailed it. Um, we've got a watch list of probably about uh, 100 companies that, to some degree, have met most of the criteria, but not all the criteria. And we will we will keep those on watch. We'll we'll keep looking um, and keep watching for any events that um, will trigger sort of the last criteria that we're looking for. But but most of the work really comes from um, the financial statements. So. Um, you know, when a company is meeting nine out of the ten criteria, for example, um, we still want to see, and quite likely that that tenth is going to show up in their next set of filings if they're if they're ever going to get there. So, um, the, the filings are really where we do most of our our, our early work. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I said, if it's close, we'll keep watching it until until it either falls right off the list or, or falls um, onto the list. And what, what's like the range of the growth rate that you're looking for quarter over quarter to make it somewhat more interesting uh, for you guys to look at? Brandon, you want to take that one? Yeah, sure. Um, so I think, you know, at the bare minimum, we'd like to see double-digit revenue growth year over year. Mm-hmm. Um, with a couple of our companies that have high gross margins, that do a good job controlling expenses, which you can get a lot of times is really high operating leverage. So... Well, revenue growth might be 10% year over year. Earnings growth could be 50% year over year. Mm-hmm. And while that's happening, and if you have an ex- expanding PDE ratio, then you can get some really good returns that way. Mm-hmm. So th- those do happen, but our ideal situation is where you have revenue growth that is 25%. Um, you know, we like to see, we've invested in a couple companies that have had 50% mm-hmm. year over year growth rates. And in our experience, that's kind of a magic number where if a company can sustain that for a couple of years um, and they have high gross margins and operating leverage, then you can really get to some pretty spectacular returns. And mm-hmm. It's very difficult to find companies that can maintain a growth rate of 50% mm-hmm. every year, but for those few that you can, um, those, when we look back at our um, some of our winners over the past five years, I think that's a number you continuously find time and time again. Mm-hmm. Um but, you know, there's even some companies like Light Access Technologies, which is, you know, one that we own where, you know, the revenue growth was um, over a thousand percent year over year. And that's very unusual, but sometimes, you know, the, the right macro trends are happening, the right industry dynamics are in place, and, mm-hmm. and you can see that. So there's really no upper bound into what 
we would look for in terms of revenue growth. Mm-hmm. We just don't want to pay too much for something um, for that growth. But if we can get it at a reasonable price or an unreasonable price, um, then we start to get really excited about you know future um, profit potential. So one more follow up on that, like let, using light access as an as an example. You know, if you if you happen to see that thousand percent growth year over year, you know, what what happens when let's say a company does? I mean, that's not. I mean, um, it may be sustainable for some businesses, but I just you know that that eventually doesn't you know that that's just not a sustainable number a company growing thousand percent year over year you know so at what point do you then measure that success in in the sense that you know when when do you start to make it like what what type of numbers do you look at so that you can understand like a more realistic uh year over year growth that you think it probably will go to that will still keep the company uh interesting to to you guys if that makes sense. Yeah, I would, uh, yeah, I would, I would say, you know, back to kind of that, um, you know, 25 to 50% mm-hmm. growth range, which is something that we would, we would look towards. I mean, a lot of times when we're looking at these, you know, management may be telling us, hey, we can do 50% year over year, but we'll do all our analysis and base our valuations off of, let's say, 10%. And we'll look at it and we'll say, well, if it only grows 10%, if earnings only go to this, what does the valuation look like? Are we still going to um, potentially make money on this deal, or do we need to hit 50% growth, or the stock's going to fall off a cliff? Mm-hmm. Um, so really, it can't, you can't just look at revenue growth or earnings growth in isolation. Everything has to be looked at relative to the price and what you're paying for it. And so it's the kind of you know heads we win, tails we don't lose a lot. Mm-hmm. That's what we're really looking towards. Because you're right. I mean, you see growth rates of 100%, 200%. You can't base a valuation on that, uh, only in very rare cases, because um, naturally the numbers get larger, um, competition comes into the marketplace, um, everything works to kind of bring that number down over time, and you know that's that's what you would typically see is decelerating um, revenue growth rates as the company gets larger. So, so Paul, you know, I, I and, and Brandon, I, I, I interviewed uh, Mike Schellinger a little earlier this year, and one thing that we discussed was. Uh, we, well, we discussed the Canadian microcap market quite a bit, and you know, at Small Cap Discoveries, you cover this segment primarily, and it's in in my opinion, it's been gaining more visibility. Um, so, Paul, I, I'll throw this one to you. You know, why why do you think that is? Um, I, I actually think there's there's a handful of reasons. Um, one is uh, the, the 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 market's obviously smaller here, so um, there's less. Um, I'll say competitors on uh, when when you know looking at deals, but I, I think the bigger reason for the valuations in Canada is that I actually I, I I think the the system itself is broken in Canada. Hmm. Um, the, the the market or the the sort of investor market brokers institutions things like that. For one, um, Canada's got a love affair with resources, so it tends to be a little bit more resource focused. Um, but secondly, most of um, the analyst reports, most of the um, uh, sort of sector interest is where there's opportunities for financing. And if a company's doing well and making money, then there's very little chance uh, for financing opportunities, and hence the brokerage com- uh, sort of industry can't generate commissions. So a lot of these small companies that actually start being successful become orphans. There's, there's nobody out there. Um, you know, putting out research reports 
uh, and and sort of bring the attention to these little companies that are hard at work. I think the U.S. system is a little bit different, where there's a lot more players there that have a vested interest in seeing some of these great little companies um, get fully valued. So, um, you know, it's interesting that a lot of the Canadian companies here, that once they start to get some success and once they start actually, um, you know, rapidly building their business, um, a lot of them are interested in going down to the U.S. to get a better sort of uh, or more market attention and hence a better valuation. So I, I think, you know, the U.S. market has always been looked at as the, a bit of a, the big leagues. And a lot of the small caps here, because they don't get quite the same sort of uh, valuations, uh, ultimately want to go down there. And, you know, like I said, because of the broken system and a few other factors, I think, um, you know, they're just better. We, we call it mispricing. There's more mispricing in the Canadian market than we're, than we're seeing in most other markets. Would you say it's a recent phenomenon or is this something that's it's been like it's been noticeable for a while and finally now a lot of these uh, a lot of the companies like for instance that you guys follow are starting to get more of a following in the US. So I guess it has it been more recent or has this been going on for a long time? Well, well I I've been at this for about 25 years and and it's always to some degree been like this. I think now because of the you know the access to the internet, uh, the ability to get more information, and even some a little bit more ease of, of execution. I think there's a lot more U.S. investors that are up here in Canada. But um, like I said, the there there is still a degree of information that's missing, um, and uh, the emphasis I mean, you know the emphasis is usually on the shiny object, the shiny, uh, exciting company rather than the, the company that's just out there doing a lot of hard work and, and making things happen. Um, so I think it's 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 likely to continue uh, this mispricing, but uh, I certainly over the last 25 years have noticed that it's gotten a little better. I mean, guys like Mike Schellinger, as you mentioned, and and even your interest uh, in this podcast for Canadian companies, I think all this is starting to um, you know increase the awareness of, of some of this mispricing and the advantages mm-hmm. for some investors up here in Canada. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely something to be said when um, you know, Paul, you, I mean, just in what you guys do, you partnered up with. A U.S. born um, millennial <laughs> to for for a small. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Shocking. Shocking. <laughs> I know. So, yeah. Yeah. but and, and actually, one one follow up to that because I'm just I'm 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 really just curious. Is you know, is it almost a self fulfilling prophecy? I mean, at, at one point, are 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 you guys nervous at all that you know maybe that this was a a question I actually had a little bit later, but it's kind of a good segue right now is. You know, are you are you worried that you know with the amount of attention given to this sector, and I and I'll I'll take some uh, some of the blame here. You know, is are you worried at all that maybe some of the new quality stories have already been exhausted? Uh, Brandon, I'll throw that to you. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think you're you're always kind of worried about that, and it's a delicate balance of. You know, getting value-added investors into the ecosystem, and ultimately, you know, for a stock to go up, you have to have new buying interest. If the same group of shareholders, it's going to be hard to get share price movements, which is ultimately what you want as a shareholder. But you're right. I mean, you get to a point where everybody's talking about these companies. Everyone's doing really well. Even some of the the less quality companies um, are seeing you know share price moves, and people are making money. And it kind of forms this virtuous cycle where more and more people come into the fold. And I think we, we've we certainly seen that, but I tend to think that, you know, things move in cycles. So while we started to see that, you know, maybe a year and a half ago, 
um, all of a sudden the resource space started to do um, come to life. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some gold stocks and um, even some of the oil and gas started to come back to life. And people immediately turned their attention to that and um, kind of lost focus on our space, which is the non-resource Canadian. So while it may feel like that at a certain point in time, it doesn't take a lot for, you know, investors to uh, to lose interest or to move on to something else. And I tend to think that even um, even some of the U.S. guys are looking at Canadian stocks. I mean, their preference would be to invest in U.S. So if more opportunities came in the U.S., I don't think it would take a lot for that kind of interest to, to flow out mm-hmm. just as quickly as it has flown in in, in recent times. Yeah. Paul, anything to add to that? I was just going to say, Paul, you know, you, you, you've been at this for 25 years. I mean, you, you've seen a cycle or two. You know, what, what's your comment? Yeah, no, exactly what Brandon said. Um, it, it's cyclical. Um, we, we've had uh, other times where, you know, with, with launches of companies, um, success stories, you get an influx of interest and then and then it, it wanes again. And uh, Brandon was dead on right uh, about the resource sector. It seems when I say shiny object earlier, you know, resource sector right now, whether it's, uh, you know, lithium, whether it's uranium, whether it's gold, whether it's whatever, it, it, it sucks the interest over there and all of a sudden we're left by ourselves again in this sector. So I'm not worried about it because I've seen it over and over again. Uh, the opportunities will always present themselves. The best opportunities will always uh, be available to those that look for these things the, the most and the hardest. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, so I'm, I'm not worried about that at all. So, Brandon, I wanted to come back to you real quick, quick on this because uh, this is actually something that just came up recently in a conversation I had, and it has to do with, um, you know, because some some U.S. investors see that there's a stumbling block when it comes to making an investment in Canadian microcaps. You know, in in because you know you're you are the the U.S. born. Um, uh, individual here, you know, of, of the partnership, you know, I, I'm just curious, you know, it, it was, was it difficult for you to invest in Canadian microcap stocks? Uh, yeah, I, w- I would say it, it is and it isn't depending on, on how you look at it. I mean, if you're going to do just public market, you know, investing, um, the vast majority of Canadian stocks do have uh, U.S. equivalents, um, OTC tickers which through any discount brokerage, whether it's Scottrade, Fidelity, or even if you have a full service, is pretty easy to, um, to get um, executions on those stocks. So from that standpoint, there's really nothing um, preventing U.S. investors from investing in Canadian stocks. Now, some of the really um, obscure and early and um, unknown companies that we find, occasionally we'll come across a few that don't have the U.S., Ticker, and then you have to be set up to trade in foreign currencies, which can be a bit of a hassle. And, and we always suggest to these companies that we end up speaking with management to uh, to make a U.S. listing available. Um, so from that standpoint, it's there's really not a lot blocking you now. If you wanted to invest in some of the private companies, which is a component of what we do at Small Cap Discoveries um, through private placements, direct financing, that can be a little bit more complicated and usually requires having a brokerage account in Canada. And so if that's desired, then that is certainly much more difficult than having just a brokerage account and investing directly on the public market. So I would say the answer depends on on what exactly, what type of investing that you want to do. Mm -hmm. But in general, um, it's a lot easier than I think um, 
you know, it has been in the past. And I think you're starting to see a lot of U.S. investors invest in Canada. I mean, we estimate about half of our subscribers are U.S.-based. And so mm-hmm. for that to be true, um, it can't be that difficult for them to, uh, to invest in a lot of the companies that we follow. Paul, did you want to add anything to that? I mean, uh, and were some of your clients, you know, when when you were a broker, were they U.S. clients that, you know, you kind of had to walk them through exactly how to do it? Well, it, one of the rules in Canada, it's very difficult to, for a Canadian broker to actually have U.S. clients. So mm-hmm. that that um, sort of uh, was another one of the sort of broken industry issues that I mentioned earlier. Um, but uh, I think I think a lot of the, a lot of the companies in the industry opinions on this where do you guys see the canadian microcap market going you you alluded a little bit to this to the idea that you know like resources are kind of starting to make a comeback but you know overall maybe over the next uh, let's say for 2017 you know where, where do you guys see it going uh paul let's let's stay with you and then brandon uh follow up right after your take yeah i mean i would agree a lot with with what paul said i mean we don't do a whole lot of you know market forecasting in terms of where do we think you know stocks are going to go or where's the overall market going to go um we don't do a ton of that at at small cap discoveries um but what i would say is that i definitely see the the legitimacy um and kind of the investor opinion of the canadian space um continuing continuing to increase as it has and whether that's you know through um, other bloggers coming up and your know, U.S. guys starting to cover Canadian companies. Um, a lot of the different success stories where some folks down in the U.S. see how well these companies in Canada have done and that, you know, a lot of the companies in Canada feel that they don't just have to 
stay in a, in a, in a point where nobody knows them and they can't get access to capital. And, um, you know, we've done a lot of work to try and identify those companies and where we can help out. And I think by continuing to do that, companies will start to learn that, you know, the junior Canadian space is one where you can get listed, you can get capital, you can grow your business, and ultimately you can do well for your shareholders. And so I think 2016 showed a lot of those success stories that I think will will fuel a lot more um, action in uh, in 2017. But as far as where the overall market's going, you know, it's it's anybody's guess. Mm-hmm. So another thing that I'm really excited about is that both of you will be speaking at the Planet Microcap Showcase in Las Vegas, April 26th through 28th, 2017. Uh, Brandon, you will be on the first ever live Planet Microcap podcast, which will be awesome. Uh, Very much looking forward to that. And Paul will be joining Maj Don and Brent Cook on the Microcap newsletter panel. You know, pertaining specifically to the panel, Paul, that you will be speaking on. And this is a question for both of you. You know, what one thing I really wanted to know is, is why do you think microcap newsletters are really important to the microcap community? Um, I, well, I think uh, it's information. It's, um, I think the, the smaller investor right now is bombarded with all sorts of information that um, is, is um, you know, requires them to sift through it all and to make, um, you know, make judgment calls on, on investments based on um, all kinds of information, whether whether it's, you know, good information, bad information. There's a lot of information out there. It used to be in the old days that it was the brokers or people with, you know, analysts and, and specific uh, parts of the industry that provided that information. But because of the way the systems are working, uh, more and more of these brokers can only really recommend larger companies, mutual funds, packaged products. So there's a real absence of, of um, access to good, solid information in the smaller and microcap community. So, you know, the newsletters, I think, have taken the place of, of that, that sort of um, the place where you got information uh, before. Um, it, it, uh, it, it behooves an investor to, to find some, some access information that they can rely on and depend on. And I think, you know, newsletters, especially ones that have uh, proven successful, I think, um, have really taken the place of a lot of the brokers and, and others um, that used to be sort of, uh, you know, used to own that information. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, it, it, it's, it, it's, um, it's a lot of work, but it, it's worth it in the long run if you can access the right kind of information and, and know how to act on it. And Brandon, you alluded to this actually a little bit earlier. You know, you were a private investor. You wanted to put your ideas out there to network. You know, it, do you see you uh, with having this newsletter that that feeds right into your whole philosophy? I would say, wouldn't you agree? Oh no, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, looking at this question, I I learned the value of microcap newsletters firsthand. I mean, it was only you know five years ago I was a novice investor, um, started to understand the value. The edge that I could have in microcaps, but had absolutely no idea what I was doing and didn't know where to go for resources. And what I found is, you know, a lot of the larger publications, whether it's Yahoo Finance, um, you know, they're not doing anything in the microcap space. And then even Seeking Alpha, as I was getting um, more and more involved, they were starting to restrict company profiles that were under a $100 million microcap or market cap. So you had a situation where there, there really wasn't a lot of information out there. And I think people find something refreshing about reading a blog where somebody is putting ideas out there, they're disclosing that they own the stock, they're really kind of putting their self on the line, 
you know, their own money, their reputation versus, you know, say an analyst report where they're getting fees from the company and, you know, they're kind of just getting paid to write the research. For me, I found something a lot more engaging about, you know, somebody like me, you know, whether they're in the States or abroad or what have you, really putting themselves out there and uh, coming up with new ideas. And so over time, my my reading list became almost exclusively newsletters, blogs, and company filings. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really pay much attention to the, the mainstream media or, you know, the headlines. And uh, that's really where I made my most, uh, my biggest strides as, as an investor. And so having gone through that just a few years ago, when I linked up with Paul and we set out to do the newsletter, there was really no question in my mind that what we were doing was going to provide value to um, whether it's new people new to investing or experienced investors new to the Canadian space. There's really just a huge information void that um, that newsletters and blogs, you know, real people that are making real investments with their money, um, they're starting to fill. Where once at one point in time, I think it was all run by, you know, a lot of the, the research houses and the different brokerage firms. Mm-hmm. So. Okay, guys. Well, um, again, I'm really excited to have you guys in Vegas. It'll be it's going to be a lot of fun, and uh, and I hope to see everybody who's listening to this uh, this podcast there to see them uh, doing their thing on these panels. And uh, so, for again, for our audience, uh, where can they go and find more information about uh, both of you and uh, Small Cap Discoveries, uh, uh, Brandon or Paul? Uh, I, I I assume either one of you know the answer to this question, so uh, I'll, I'll leave. Uh, how about Paul? You know, Paul hasn't, you know, I'll, I'll give this one to you, all right? Sure. <laughs> all right, no problem. Um, you can go to smallcapdiscoveries.com. That's our website. Uh, and uh, you'll get a good example of a couple of our old reports, see how we, uh, you know, how we write, and um, just our philosophy. And uh, if anybody's got any questions, certainly they can email myself or Brandon, and we'd be happy to answer them. Well, again, thank you guys so much for joining me today and uh, have a great weekend and I will see you both in Vegas very soon. Looking forward to it. Thank you, Bobby. Thanks, Robert. Thank you. Thank you all for tuning in to the Planet Microcap podcast and thank you, Paul and Brandon, again for coming on to the program. You can access the podcast by going on to stocknewsnow.com under podcast. Go to podbean.com and search Planet Microcap podcast or on iTunes and search Planet Microcap Podcast. Stay tuned for the next Planet Microcap Podcast where we'll have our next guest to discuss all things microcap. If you have any questions or comments about the podcast, please send an email to info at stocknewsnow.com. I'd love to hear from all of you. This podcast has been brought to you by SNN Incorporated, publishers of stocknewsnow.com, the official microcap news source and the microcap review magazine. I'm your host, Robert Kraft, and thank you again for joining me on the Planet Microcap podcast. Have a great week, everyone.